0: I want to talk with you about a father's heart. When the Lord laid this on my heart, I was thinking about, you know, um, this season that we come into is often a very difficult one because um, if you had a wonderful relationship with your dad then, then and he's still alive, you know, then you have a wonderful Father's Day. If you had a wonderful relationship with your dad and he's not alive, then you have a, hmm, not as wonderful, you know. Or if you didn't have a wonderful relationship with your dad, then you want to avoid the issue altogether. But let us never, ever mistake God as father and his fatherhood for the uh, mistakes and whatever that our fathers made. So... um, I think it's in everybody's best interest that we celebrate fatherhood, you know, as well as motherhood. Um, In Luke 15, there's a story about a prodigal son. I want to go there in a few minutes, but that story and that picture of a father and a a wayward son remains one of the all-time favorite stories among Believers around the world, even to this day, there's something about the story of the prodigal son that kind of just grabs us and grabs our attention, and uh, we like we like the story. And I'm just uh, uh, curious enough, um, with our culture and and Jesus' culture and the differences and the disconnects, to just try to take you there. Uh, maybe the way his audience originally would have heard it, so that we can gather even more um, blessing from the story. So you're going to want to find Luke 15. We're going to go there in a minute. And um, I have a PowerPoint for this, and this is from um, the air show yesterday. If you can find that, look at that. Now, that is, um, Jim, I think it was a Corsair, Is that a Corsair? All right. I don't know my planes well. But Jim's in that cockpit right there. No, he wishes he was in that cockpit. He's been in a cockpit, but not that one, you know. But um, that was shot live yesterday and a few other things, you know. Fatherhood is in short supply and there's a lot of moms who trying to navigate all of this and you know they want their sons to be um, honorable but they don't want them doing that stuff you know Uh, there's there's something about you know trying to raise sons who are sensitive and nice just nice people you know and um, I know, there, I know that moms are all about that. Dads are usually a more practical, like, uh, because they look at their own life story and they say, um, yeah, he's, it's going to take a lot of mistakes to make a good life, you know. And um, So anyways, we, we hope for and pray for good sons. But I want to take a look at this story and this particular son and what he did, and um, I want to learn something about God's heart from it. I think there's something very, very key to understanding God and his heart by looking at this particular story. Let me share a little story with you. It's a live, true story It comes from my fatherhood experience. Uh, I received one of those phone calls that no dad ever wants to receive. Um, I get a phone call from a police officer. Police officer is, informing me, Mr. Klein, that your son, David, has been involved in an accident, and he's okay, but we need you to come and get him, right? And then I get to talk to David briefly, and then I go up the highway um, to the ramp for 81, and I'm like, there's a traffic jam like crazy, and all of a sudden it comes to me, my son was in an accident, you know? And so I drive up the berm of the road, I get there uh, just in time to have the police officer come over to me, and he stops me before he brings David over, and he says, "Um, it could have been serious, he's kind of shaken up, don't be hard on him. (laughs) I'm like, okay, you don't know me, and you don't know my son, but I'll take that advice, and I walk over, and, and David and I are just happy that Everybody's alive and everything is okay. I don't know if you've ever had a child that you worried about or you struggled over or you got some kind of news like that and you're thinking the worst. It's it's no fun. Parenting is wonderful and horrible all at the same time. But this story, this father, what this father went through was like way worse than David's accident. What this son put his dad through was by far so much worse than that. So I want to remind you of two things before we get started. First thing is that Jesus came from the heart of the Father. He carried the Father's heart with him. Okay, now the second thing I'll say is that he was not a biological father so he had no practical experience as a father but he came from his father and having been fathered well by his father in heaven um, Jesus carries this amazing relationship Um, in John chapter 1 verse 18 no one has seen God at any time the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That's Jewish speak for Jesus was so close to the Father that he carried the Father's heart. All criticisms leveled against Jesus, of all of them, probably the most frequent criticism was when he would refer to God as his Father. Now, for the... Jewish people, they understood a couple of things. You know, one of them is they didn't refer to God as Father very often, although they were referred to by God as His children. And we're talking about Israel. Now, if you take the book of Genesis and read it, I've got to tell you it's not tracing the genealogy of every person on the planet. It's tracing the genealogy of the Jewish nation. Leading all the way to Jesus. So, when the prophets would come and speak for God, they would remind Israel that they were God's children. I know that there's a popular notation that, you know, God's the father of us all, He's the creator of us all, and yet fatherhood requires relationship. So, there's another verse that's really important. It's also Uh, to be found in John chapter 1, and that is that Jesus came to his own, which would be his Jewish people, his Jewish friends, his Jewish families, he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So through the work at Calvary, People are adopted into God's family. Jesus had no biological sons or daughters. So, with that view in mind, Jesus is getting criticism for calling God his father, and uh, Jesus came with a father's heart. I want us to hear this story. In John, I'm sorry, Luke 15. Um, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to him to listen to him both Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So that's another thing he got a lot of criticism for, is that Jesus was famous for violating Sabbath, famous for eating with people who were of disrepute. Um, In the culture, in the custom, Like, I mean, you can invite someone to dinner, and in our culture, and it just means, you know, we invited you to dinner. It could mean that, you know, we want to be friends. It could mean that we want to have a business relationship. It could mean that um, it's just the right thing to do. Uh, We want to get to know our, our kids. Friends, you know. So, anyways, we invite people to come to dinner for all kinds of reasons. But in this Jewish culture, it would be unheard of um, to receive anyone into your home, or to be received in anyone's home, unless you were receiving each other. By eating together, you're essentially saying, "I'm good with you, whoever you are. I'm good with you. Let's and let's move towards covenant. Let's move towards a relationship." that is established on a covenantial level. So when Jesus would eat with um, people of disrespect, um, okay, do they keep kosher? Do they, you know, are they they Jewish and they're backslidden, they're not keeping kosher? Are they Gentiles or Samaritans? Um, What kind of people are these? And that's always the question is, you know, when you when Jesus would allow a prostitute to touch him at dinner, you know, that just sends out signals in so many ways saying in so many different languages that that Jesus is being wrong. Now, we have so much of Christianity in our culture left as remnants so that many of us would say, no, no, that's just really the way to be a nice person, to be a nice human, is to not judge people, to, to respect them, to receive them, but it, it was way different in Jesus' culture. So, you know, to receive them and eat with them is really essentially to saying, I'm good with you, and I hope you'll be good with me. Let's have a friendship. So, Jesus is being criticized by the religious leaders for eating with sinners, and there's some kind of an explanation that needs to be give, be given. And Jesus does what he classically does, is that he teaches them a parable, which is made, made of or comprised of two parts. In, in rabbinic culture and language, you would give a person sort of a, a riddle, and then you would give them the answer to the riddle, you know. Or it was called may-shell and nim So what, what Jesus would often do is he would give the riddle but not give the answer, you know. So you had to go to him and say, what did that mean? I didn't get it, you know. And, and Jesus was trying to establish relationship, you know. Well, what he does in this case is he's going to answer their question, and they didn't ask the question. They just grumbled and complained at him. And he's going to answer it by giving uh, uh, three stories and uh, you've got a lost coin, you've got a lost sheep, and you've got a lost boy. And it's that lost boy story that we want to focus in, in on. But at the end of this, when he gives the answer to the riddle, he, what he's doing is he's trying to get them to see that they should be receiving these people. It's not that why does he receive them? But what is wrong with them that they, as religious leaders, why aren't they receiving people who, you know, well, on another occasion Jesus said, you know, it's really sick people that hang out at the doctors, right? You know, so, so the fact that people were hanging around Jesus means that they were looking for an answer, they were looking for healing, they were looking for a relationship. They were looking for an answer to the riddle to their life. And the fact that they were hanging around him just meant that he was being a good doctor. You don't applaud a doctor for accepting or receiving sick people. That's what they do, you know. And so it's, it's kind of in that backdrop that Jesus begins to teach them The story, and like right when the story should be like really understood by everything, then Jesus takes a turn, and I want to show you that here. So if we go to uh, Luke 15 and verse number 11, he said a man had two sons. Well, that's common. The youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. That's not common. First of all, should be the eldest son coming, and secondly, to ask for your inheritance before your father dies is essentially saying, I can't wait for you to die. I can't wait for you to da- uh, die, Dad. I, I, I want to go and experience life, and I can't wait for you to die so that I can get an inheritance, which, by the way, wouldn't come to him anyways. It would have went to his brother. So he's asking for a good old American democracy kind of thing is everybody shares, you know, we, everybody is equal, you know. So um, as a younger son, he is asking his dad to either hurry up and die, or if that can't be arranged, to just give him the inheritance right now, which would really mean that his older brother would receive the inheritance. And then he will have to wait for his older brother to die to get that inheritance. Um, by the way, the elder son is the, uh, the guy that well, we kind of struggle with him in this story because he, uh, he doesn't act very becomingly and, and, uh, but part of the mystery is understanding that this younger brother not only offended his dad but offended his older brother as well. Alright. A younger the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the inheritance that falls to me. So he, the father, the father didn't argue. This is not heard of either. The father didn't argue, he just divided it. It means that the dad's living on a third, the elder brother's living on a third, and now a third is going to this younger one. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, and he went on a journey to a distant country. Again, unheard of. When you got married, you built onto your dad's house. I mean, that's just how it was done. Like, to, to go on a journey, to go to a distant land is essentially to say, I want nothing to do with my dad. I want nothing to do with this house. I don't, I don't, I don't want to serve your God. I don't want to be with your people. I want to go and have fun. So a distant country would always mean something Gentile. Which so he's deliberately choosing to leave a kosher neighborhood and go to an unclean, unkosher neighborhood. So he did this, and he gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country, and there he squandered his estate. He blew all his money. He squandered his estate with loose living. That means he bought a lot of alcohol. He bought a lot of prostitutes. He, you know, rode high, probably gambling, um, etc. He's, you know, he's living as a high ruler. He's living as a a person who has no, no um, uh, resemblance of a a devout Jewish man. an, An honorable son who would be honoring his dad. He is dishonoring his dad in so many ways that you can't even begin to imagine. The reason we can't begin to imagine is because we know stories like this. I mean, people do these kind of things. Some sons do this kind of thing. They get with the wrong crowd, go with the wrong kids, and they go after things with different values, be it different people with different values, and etc. So we look at and we say, that's just, you know, a rebellious son, but again, unheard of in Jesus' day. So the religious leaders are sitting there on the edge of their seats saying, What is going to happen to this boy? Because he is being so disrespectful in so many ways. Now, when he spent everything that he had a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished so he's living high and all of a sudden he hits bottom because the economy goes south the religious leaders would say uh-huh uh-huh you know this is this is justice this is how it happens this is the consequence of that kind of living. the story of the prodigal, the word prodigal means wasteful, you know, so wasteful, this son was living in a wasteful lifestyle, a wanton lifestyle. And so, um, you know, when you live in a wasteful lifestyle and you don't invest and you you reject everything that is good and right and wonderful, suddenly you can find yourself impoverished. And then what happens is then a famine comes. So he went out and hired himself out. Notice he was a son who was completely provided for by his father, he wanted his things, he wanted his part. Now he goes out and he's having to hire himself out. He had to get a job to one of the citizens of the country and the citizens of the country of course recognize him as a foreigner and so they're not good to him, they're not kind to him the citizens of that country, and he sent him to his field to feed swine. By the way, this would have to be some distant land because there's no Jewish man in his right mind that would be farming and raising uh, pigs, you know. Um, It's one of those... Praise God for the new covenant. I like bacon. Bacon is good. It's a good thing, but, you know, these... um, Bacon machines They're not really clean animals, I don't know if you ever noticed that, but they're considered something forbidden by the Jewish dietary restrictions. They're not allowed to eat from pigs, so this guy's a pig farmer, and so this kid is able to get a job, and of all things, he's actually, he's in with the pigs. He's feeding them, he's caring for them, he's protecting them. Pigs can be very dangerous, they can be savage. Uh, you would never want to fall down and hit your head on a rock in a pig pen because when they come looking for you, there'd be nothing left of you. They would devour you. But this kid gets so hungry, and verse number 16 says, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods. So he went from extravagance to poverty, and now he's so hungry, he would gladly have eaten the carob pods and you know they're you could eat them humans have it's it's not it's one of the most common trees in Israel but uh, they usually feed it to the animals because it's it's not great food and it's not good for you you know so he would gladly have eaten these pods that had been given to the pigs so that he could fill his stomach and this is the point where the Jewish people would say, okay, now he's hit rock bottom. Like, he's working for a pig farmer, and now he's wishing he could eat what the pigs don't eat. You know, when anything they leave, you know, if he could just eat that. And this is where the, the Jewish mind would say, okay, now we need the riddle to be explained. But Jesus goes on further. Verse 17, when he came to his senses... He began to say, how many of my father's hired men, Despite, again, his, his dad was an honorable man, and he had servants too, but he fed them, he clothed them, he housed them, he took care of them. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread but I'm dying with hunger. Again, the people that he's hanging out with, actually, when the money ran out, the love ran out. When the money was gone, there's no relationship, and they treated him worse than a citizen. Verse number 18, he says, I'll get up and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Which is a way of avoiding saying, God, I don't even want to go there. I just, I've sinned against heaven, and now this has happened to me. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Just just hire me as a servant. Once again, Jewish audience would expect that that now he's really at rock bottom, because now he has to go back to his dad and confess that his dad was right, he was wrong, and, you know, but Jesus goes further. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. Now his audience is ready to throw rocks. Like, you know, this son dishonors his father so much. Father gets what he, I mean, the son gets what he deserves. Gets this big idea, go home and repent and, you know, get a job working for his dad. But instead, Jesus has this father running to the boy. He's an old man. He wears a robe. He's got to lift up his robe, gather. Like, we're talking about embarrassing himself. He embarrasses himself and runs to the boy. The boy was prodigal. The boy was disrespectful. The boy was foolish. He deserved to be hungry. And in Jesus' story, he has the father doing the unthinkable. Picking up, gathering up his skirt and running to the boy. When he was still a long way off which means that 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 father prayed every day for that boy to come home and that father looked every day for that boy to come home and on this particular day that father sees what might be his son and he's going to take the chance that this is him. i got to tell you that from the distance this boy probably looked nothing like the son that walked out of the house. But his heart recognizes his son. Gathers up his skirt and he runs to him. Because he feels compassion for him. When he catches up with the boy he embraces him and he kisses him. And the you know, his, Jesus' audience would be going, like, oh, yuck, you know? Like, you know, telling a uh, bunch of sixth grade girls that, that one of their friends kissed a boy, and they were going, oh, yuck, you know? And, th- like, this is so, un- you know, the boy is so unclean, he's been with who knows what, who knows what he's bringing home. Who knows, you know, and he looks like a mess, he smells like pigs, and he's emaciated. He feels this compassion. Feels this love, because it's his son. It is his son. And I'm telling you, there isn't any father worth their salt that don't feel that for their sons, which is, by the way, why we fathers often make many mistakes because we we love our kids they can be wrong they can be really wrong and we'll defend them everybody else knows you're an idiot but why why do dads defend their prodigals it's because they love them it's because they love them He embraces this son, and the son begins this well hearsed speech that since he left the pig pen, he's thinking the whole time, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he doesn't even get the rest of the words out, and the father stops him. But the father said to the slaves, quickly, Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He, has lo- he was lost and he has been found and they began to celebrate. Jesus has just described why He eats with sinners. Jesus has just described to them why it is that He will sit with someone and eat with them. Why is that? Because they will eat with Him. If they will eat with Him and He clearly stood for the Father, and with the Father's heart, he clearly stood for God. If they received him, how could he not receive them? Jesus' audience is now, once again, ready to throw hymn books. I mean, they're, this, is, this is ridiculous. This is not how it's done. This is not the way it is done By the way, the true inheritance wasn't the money. The true inheritance wasn't the property. The true inheritance in the father's house was that father's heart. And that father's heart had all the generosity it needed to give his son whatever he needed. So in that case, the older brother missed it too. Jesus is saying to them, there's a father in heaven. And he has been working. He's been anticipating. He's been waiting for his sons and daughters to return home. And so he sent Jesus, his son, his only son, his only begotten son, so that Jesus might welcome home prodigals. I want you to know today that it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you are, what you should have done or what you shouldn't have done, father runs to prodigals. Father runs to addicts. Father runs to adulterers and adulteresses. Father runs to homosexuals. Father runs to hypocrites. Father runs to the broken and the needy and the bleeding. Father runs. When we sing that he is good, it's like the most frustrating thing in my own heart because it's like the most understated thing you could make about God. He is so much more than good. He is gracious, he's righteous, he's altogether absolutely unconcerned with becoming defiled by our defilement. Our sin does not put him off. Our hideous behaviors and activities doesn't make God turn a prudish ear away from us. Actually, the scripture says that where sin abounded grace much more. So it's actually that No matter what pig pen we find ourselves in, the greater the stink, the greater the stench, the greater the drawl of God's grace. And the Father is running towards us at warp speed. He is running toward this country at warp speed because He knows He's going to honor His Son. He knows that He's going to do something so amazing. Can I just remind you how far we have fallen? Adam was created to rule and to reign with God. He was created in the very image and the likeness of God. And Adam and Eve were able to co-create together with God. Adam had everything that the serpent wanted. Adam had the attention and the devotion and the love of God. The serpent was was literally a, a snake in the grass who had no right or no care. He wanted to be like God and here Adam and Eve were as like God as they could possibly be. You have no way of understanding. We have no way of understanding because we talk about Adam's fall like, you know, that God created him one hour and by the seven or eight hours later he had fallen. Let me tell you something. Adam walked with God. Adam walked with God. Adam called stars by name. Every Everything was given into his hand. Adam was an amazing creature. And if you want to compare Jesus to anything, he's come from the heart of the Father. He's come with the Father's heart. And according to Philippians 2, he laid aside all of his divinity and became a man like Adam. He's a second Adam. So what you see Adam doing, what you see Jesus doing, is what Adam would have done. What you see Jesus doing is what the Father would do. What you see Jesus doing is a representation of what God's hope, dreams, and plans were for Adam. But thank God he sent his son, Jesus Christ, not just to show us the Father's heart, but to die so that we could be adopted into his family, so that you and I could get out of the cesspool and the the pig pen of our life, that we could put away the filth and the stench and the, uh, uh, the clothing of our past and of our fallenness. We could unrobe all that stuff and God could robe us with righteousness could put a ring of authority on us could put sandals on our feet i was telling john yesterday <coughs> one of the most incredible experiences i've ever had in my life was being able to go to a a slum in we say Uganda, it's Uganda, was in Uganda, this wonderful pastor took us into the middle of one of the filthiest places I've ever seen on earth. We're all sewage running down. The witch doctors that kind of ruled that place and kept it under its darkness and spell. They told me that they had to be careful when a man died, grab that body and bury it properly before a witch doctor grabs it and removes his male parts for their spells and incantations. It's just a hideous, hideous place. And in the middle of that slum, there is a pastor who had been preaching the gospel. And there were men and women and children, well-dressed. It might have been the only outfit they had. So colorful and so bright. They were singing and dancing unto Jesus. And I'm about to get up and just speak, and I'm sitting there saying, God, I have nothing to share with these people, I have nothing to say, I can't, there is no way, I don't deserve to be here, these people are more honorable than me, I have no right to speak, what could I possibly say to them? And the Spirit of God pricked my heart and said, I want you to ask them why I created them. So I got in front of this beautiful audience of uh, 150 people or more in the middle of all this filth and stench and adversity. It's just horrible. I said, I am here 7,000 miles away from home, and God sent me to ask you a question. question is something I heard my friend say one time. The question is, why did God create you? One by one, people started sheepishly lifting their hands up and they'd say, he created us to worship him. I said, that's good, I, I believe that. You know, he created us to serve him. That's good, I believe that too. One thing after another, all the things that you and I would say. And I looked him in the eyes and I'm here to tell you today that God created you to love you. God created you to love you. The Spirit of God erupted in that place and we had a, we had a we had a service. After the service, a young woman came up to me. Her dress was as good as it could be, as clean as it could be tears running down her face. She was put together as the best she could. And she said, Pastor, I wanna thank you. And I said, oh no, I wanna thank you. I said, you have no idea. I don't really know what I can do to help, really. She said, no, you came 7,000 miles to tell me that God created me to love me and that thought has forever changed my mind right now, right here. When we left, it was still a slum, but the glow of the Spirit over that place is something I'll never forget. Brothers and sisters, no matter who you are or where you are, what you've done, how far you've run, God created you to love you a father's heart conceived. Your DNA, your personality, your parents, your race, your geography. In the will and the purposes of God, he created you to be you as only uniquely you can be you. In the hopes that you would turn and love him. And by loving him, he would begin to change and to transform us. All of our life experiences, all that went wrong, all that went right, all that should change, all those things became a part of what God used to make you uniquely you and to reflect his image and his likeness. And when you do, and when you begin to love Him, and you begin to raise your hand and worship Him, all of a sudden, the beauty of the Lord comes upon you, and as the beauty of the Lord rests upon you, there is an amazing attraction that begins to happen, and God begins to call and to draw Prodigals, I'm telling you this because not only do you need to hear that, but our city around us needs to hear this as well. Central Pennsylvania needs to know this. Uh, the, our country needs to know this. Would you please stand up with me? We need to understand that God has created us to love us, but he created them to love them as well. He created them to love him as well, and it doesn't matter where they are or what cesspool they find themselves in. Yes, I have particular things that God has convicted me of that I really believe that God wants to put his finger on and he wants to change. I am really, really pursuing. I am after this thing, uh, this uh, bipolar mental health uh, uh, condition. I really believe that God wants to deliver people from that. They're some of the most creative, beautiful people on the planet. I really believe with all my heart that there are people who are addicted to uh, drugs and alcohol and all kinds of uh, illicit things. Uh, They're addicted to that and I really believe with all my heart that God is about to step in the middle of this slum that you and I live in. He's about ready to step into this slum and say, hey, I created you to love you. The Father created you to love you. He wants you to know that he loves you. I believe that God's about to drain the swamp. I believe that God's about to drain the swamp. I believe that God is about to set prisoners free. Do you? just need to put this little caveat in if you go and read the rest of the story. The problem wasn't with God. The problem wasn't with Jesus. The problem was with the older brother. He couldn't celebrate them coming home. Somehow, some way, he just could not celebrate. It's like God's not fair. I've been an honest, hard-working person. I've tithed. I've done everything I should, and, and yet, when they walk in this church, they walk into this door, suddenly the Spirit of God transforms their life. It's like God jumps over all my prayers and answers theirs well hello you know that he loves you you're supposed to know that they don't yet that's why he does that he is so gracious he is so good he is so kind what's wrong with us what's wrong with us What's wrong with me? We have got to catch the Father's heart. We must catch the Father's heart. He has a robe. He has a ring. He has a calf. He has uh, 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 all the sandals. He's got everything he needs except an older brother would put his arm around someone and say you don't know father yet but let me tell you about him you don't know what it's like to live here but let me tell you about it you don't know what it's like to sit at our table and fellowship together but let me make room for you do you understand I can't say it any clearer I don't know how to say it any more uh, uh, forcefully but God wants older brothers and sisters to make room for prodigals Because he's bringing them home. He's bringing them home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I confess that the church is not divorced. (laughs) we're not divided we're not a divided house we're not divorced we've got a healthy family there's moms and dads aunts and uncles we thank you God we thank you and we praise you that you have a healthy house it's the father's house and we celebrate in father's house we celebrate father and we celebrate Jesus we celebrate each other now God I pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ that older brothers and sisters would open their heart and say there's more love to be poured out on this world we're in the middle of a swamp we're in the middle of a, a pig pan we're in the middle of a slum but God loves us he loves them hallelujah praise your name Lord Jesus hallelujah hallelujah <clears throat> Hallelujah. Put your hand on your heart and say, Oh, Father God, I receive Jesus and the Father's love through Jesus Christ. I receive it. I receive it. And I confess over myself that God created me to love me. He created me to love me, but he didn't create us to live in a pig pen. So here I am, Lord. I will, by the grace of God, reach to people and begin to bless them in Jesus' name. I'll reach out to people who are in the pig pen, and I will not be put off by their stench. I will not be put off by their clothes. I will not be put off by their sin. I will not be put off by their preference for sexuality. I will not be put off by their Addictions. I will not be put off by their, their, uh, the, even their resistance to God. I won't be put off, be put off for it because Father has room in His house for them as well. Hallelujah! By the grace of God. We will welcome. By the grace of God, we'll be the ones looking down the road. We'll be the ones praying for our prodigal friends, loved ones, daughters, and sons, and nieces, and nephews, and uncles, and aunts. We'll be the ones looking down the road for for the prodigal to return home. They don't have to come in this building. All they have to do is step into Father's house. So we ask you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, oh God. By the way, I just want to tell you this. I have learned in my life that I pray to the Father. I pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And I worship Jesus because when I worship Jesus, that honors the Father. So I pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And I worship Jesus. Jesus Christ. My worship is of Jesus Christ and by worshiping Him by default He reflects it back to the Father and then I ask the Holy Spirit for help. I am not like uh, confused about this thing. I pray to the Father. I pray in Jesus' name because that's what He said to do and then I worship Jesus and when I don't know what to do I ask for the Holy Spirit to help me. That's a teaching right by itself right there. I'm going to ask you this morning. Do you love Father's house? Do you love Father's work? Do you love Father's sons? And do you love the prodigal? Every time I ask these questions, it's like, I know what's coming this week, I know it. Bring it on. There's more room in Father's house. There's more.